0: Hey guys, welcome to the Conversations of That Matter podcast. I'm John Harris, your host. Hopefully a shorter episode today. We're going to have a theme this week. We've already kind of delved into it a little bit, but uh, there's going to be a number of shows this week in which I'm going to, or podcasts, in which I'm going to talk about individuals uh, or uh, organizations, as the case may be, that I think many have trusted at some point or another or had some confidence in. or And, and, and the moral of the story, just to, to let you all know, is we got to be Bereans. Uh, when the Bereans made sure what Paul was saying was in line with the Old Testament scriptures, we got to do the same kind of thing by making sure that the people and the organizations we trust and partner with are in line with what the Bible says. And And if we don't do that, then we can get into some very bad places where we're actually helping, fund, partnering with people who aren't actually doing real Christian discipleship or uh, they have very inadequate or sometimes uh, a, a really... A dangerous message that they're preaching, perhaps a false gospel. And so we, we've got to be. Um, not heresy hunters where like we're just looking and we're just around every corner there's heresy and twisting things to make it heresy. But we, we have to be discerning where when we are going to be listening to people from certain organizations, from from any organization, uh, anytime we listen really, and we are going to be especially putting financial backing and support behind organizations that we kind of know what they're about. And, and we're not just naive and we don't just go on trusting this organization is still good because, man, it was good when my dad was involved in it. Well, you know, you're... It's been a while since your dad was involved in it, right? These organizations change over time. And we found that out with a lot of organizations. And so, um, so anyway, I, I think people and organizations, we, we, we make sure that we uh, are as generous as we possibly can be in the sense that we're, we're giving um, a benefit of the doubt. But our, our, our whole striving is not to read charitably. It is to read accurately. And so when we give the benefit of the doubt, it is not with deference because of some consideration of, well, that person's a big shot and I don't want to offend them. Or, man, uh, what will people think if I don't really uh, support that person? Uh, It's more of, um, well, you could read this in a different kind of way that, uh, you know, maybe they meant it that way, but it's unclear. And then you say it's unclear, but sometimes people are promoting false gospels and they're saying things that are really not right. And the truth is right there, and there is no "quote unquote" charitable way even to, to look at it, uh, other than trying to bend it somehow. Uh, and and so our striving is to read accurately. Our striving, and that's what the Bereans did with Paul, is to to compare what he said to the standard of Scripture, and then make our determination. And so uh, today we're going to start off um, doing some of this with um, an individual that I I didn't realize this. Someone sent me a treasure trove of information, but. Uh, This individual is named Pastor Bobby Scott, and we examined some of what Pastor Bobby Scott was saying last week at the T4G conference. And um, he was on a panel with Kevin DeYoung and Mark Dever on critical race theory. And Bobby Scott wanted to use critical race theory as an analytical tool. uh, And I pointed out probably the most, um, I guess, serious issue with what he said was when he basically said that the room at T4G wasn't ethnically diverse enough, and therefore reconciliation had not happened. And he um, quoted where uh, he, he quoted actually Paul when Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation from Second Corinthians, and and so he he uses this to then try to say that there's a failure uh, in some ways that. The gospel is not being um, lived out. It's not. It's. It's. It, there's a de- defect somewhere with the room at T4G because it's not diverse enough, and so the ministry of reconciliation hasn't happened enough. And really, ignoring, I think, what Second Corinthians five actually is teaching the context of that. And so we talked about this already, but but I didn't realize I I had never heard of Bobby Scott, and so someone sent me all this information and. And some of what they sent me was um, some some private stuff that I'm not going to share with you, but um, but I, I will say this: um, it just it, it showed me that people like like Bobby Scott and there's certainly many others have certainly made their ways into conservative organizations and churches, uh, and I'm I'm saying orthodox, conservatively uh, theologically, and places that um, you would you would really think have rejected critical race theory and don't want to use it as an analytical tool and all that. And yet you see those same places platforming people like Pastor Bobby Scott. And so uh, I will I'll leave some of that information out, but I want to just I just want to bring you through some things because I was a little surprised. So here's, um, here's what I'll start with. And this isn't necessarily exhaustive, but Bobby Scott is a contributor at the Jess Gospel Conference. That's the BDN Buile's conference and the parent organization, the front porch. And, you know, the thing is, Thibini Thibini Abwile is pretty radical in my mind at this point. I mean, he's the guy that said uh, back in 2018 that white people were responsible, like broadly speaking, for the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And since then, he said some really crazy stuff. And we've talked about it on the podcast. I've talked about just gospel in my book, uh, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict, just because it shouldn't be called that. It's, it's politics, mostly. It's not just gospel. It's, it's they're not just talking about the gospel that's the thing that it's just like deceptive in my mind to call your conference that it's kind of weird but uh i didn't know bobby scott was hanging out with with those guys like that was that was strange to me in a little bit i was like man i thought like okay he's at t4g and yeah there was a false gospel in what he said it was kind of vague and quick and yeah he wanted to use critical race theory as an analytical tool i just didn't think that he'd be with guys as radical as the beating of wheelie and so um he And it wasn't a one-off. He was there for this engaging cultural expressions of complementarian theology. I don't know what other panels he might have uh, been in, but these are just the two that were sent to me. He didn't really say anything on this panel, but you have some people giving very egalitarian ideas of what uh, their, their opinion of what Paul actually teaches, and so that was interesting. Uh, and and so then um, so they sent me also this um, these articles from the Sola Network. Sola Network, I guess, is a reformed-ish... Uh, that's where the solas come from network that is committed to, um, the influence, the emerging generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have all these nice things they say here. And, and there's probably people who think, oh, this is wonderful. But then you read these articles and it's like watching the 13th documentary or, uh, reading like the 1619 project or something like that. And so, um, I'm I, the, the, you can see these are long and there's, it's a four part series. So I'm not going to go over all of it, but, Uh, a few highlights that I might want to talk about, um, and there's so many, it's hard to know where to even start. So he says in his article, uh, part three of this America's Long Troubled Road Towards Racial Reconciliation, that the Civil Rights Act delivered a critical blow to systemic racism, and yet at the same time, he says uh, that there continue to be aspects of systemic racism that have yet to be dismantled, and one of those is the war on drugs. And so he talks about some of these disparities. I talk about these in Christianity and social justice, religions and conflict. Uh, He insinuates that uh, we shouldn't actually um, have drugs criminalized because they don't rehabilitate the user. Uh, And so this is what, these are the, I guess, the kinds of solutions (laughs) that he's advocating. And then you see uh, in this part four, um, he uses this interpretation of what happened in the Exodus to argue for reparations uh, today in the United States. So he says in the Exodus, there was systemic and personal uh, problems, and that um, because Israel was systemically oppressed by the Egyptians, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, and they had their male babies uh, forcibly killed, uh, that there's a category here for systemic sin. And because there's a category for systemic sin, and because God uh, liberated them from that systemic sin, Therefore, today, uh, he says, we're going to talk about racism and racial reconciliation in America biblically. Then we have to be able to use biblical categories of corporate and personal sin, not just one or the other. And so um, I'll just stop here real quick and just say, um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly sins that are corporate sins in the sense that you have a entire society given over to certain things. Nineveh would be an example of a society that was given over uh, to false worship and and so God does judge countries he does nations that when when the people are given over to something but that's going to look like the people participating in these sins and um and, and there's there's an approval for these sins there's a uh, uh a uh, a general participation in these sins uh, it's not going to be something where um You have a specific group of people, i.e. slaveholders, uh, and then, or or really, well, we'll we'll just use, I'll expand this in a minute, but let's say hypothetically, specific group of people, slaveholders, and a small percentage of the actual society is in that category. And then um, later, hundreds of years, their children must then go and make some kind of a recompense for the fact that their parents were in these uh, roles. Uh, It's it's that's not what's being talked about in the in that narrative. It's it's not like, um, you know, and then God, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years later decided, you know what? The Egyptians, they're they're those children uh, of the people that benefited from the Hebrew slavery. We really got to do something about this or. Um, you know those who w- w- traded with Egypt, uh, they're, they're guilty, and so I'm going to punish them because they were involved, even passively, in systemic sin because because they had um, you know Egyptian privilege allocated to them uh, because they were in a society that had slavery at one point in the past. It's not even comparable, but that's that's the stretch you'd actually have to make to make this work. But that's not what. Uh, happened in that particular story. In fact, the emphasis of that story is on God's sovereignty, how he takes Israel out of Egypt. And what he does is he shows his power, that he is more powerful than the Egyptian gods. And he judges them for their, um, actually, I mean, he liberates the the children of Israel and he judges the Egyptians. It's not just, it's not like he's judging them because, well, they enslaved the Israelites. And that's that's what he's going after is uh, they just enslaved the Israelites. Of course, it's because Pharaoh wouldn't let the children of Israel go, that the plagues come. But the plagues themselves are against the specific gods of Egypt, the places that Pharaoh put his trust in. And it's showing the power of God over the Egyptian deities and the demons, really. And that God purchased Israel for himself, that he liberated them for himself. And um, and so that's really the, the big picture here. That's the moral lesson. And God does use evil for good. You see that in the story of Joseph. You see that too uh, in his plan for redeeming um, the children of Israel from the Egyptians and then uh, giving the land that he promised Abraham to them, uh, to their to their descendants. And so uh, he was accomplishing something uh, much bigger uh, in, in this particular situation. And liberation theologians, th- their, their focus tends to be very singular. It tends to be very focused on uh there well there was liberation there's systemic sin going on this is God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed and therefore that's what we we need to focus and emphasize those things and then apply them today and and then the applications today are for these solutions like reparations uh which is where he gets he he actually links right here to this article uh that's in courts courts is not a Christian publication but it's a um what U.S. slavery, reparations, and post-Holocaust Germany have in common? And it makes the argument for the idea that, well, we ought to have uh, reparations. In fact, I'll read for you um, the end of this. Uh, he said, um, the U.S. government paying reparations today for state terror that ended 150 years ago poses numerous practical challenges. Uh, they include identifying, rightly identifying rightful recipients in the source of Sourcing the money appropriately, whether state-based or federal, those who say they did not benefit from slavery must be persuaded that reparations are required to right a moral wrong. Polling shows a majority of Americans oppose cash payments as a redress for slavery, but old injustices don't simply disappear with time. Left unaddressed, they fuel the kind of division, shame, and resentment that, as America knows well, can divide a nation. And the reason for this, though, is because this is people who don't actually believe or they don't have a belief in hell, they, they, they can't. There's a problem on the accounting balance. There's, there's injustice that has happened, and it must be, there must be a payment made. There must be. We, we are human, and we, we want sacrifice, and that's just natural. That's actually wired into us. Someone's got to do something, and so um, we know that people who uh, have died without Christ, who have participated in evil things, are actually punished for that, in an in eternal punishment known as hell. But people who don't believe in that. Uh, it's got to happen in this life, and it, if if it's punishing generations later, then you do that. And of course, these this plan has nothing to do with actually going to those who were the prime uh, original beneficiaries, the people who actually went out, captured uh, the their tribes, members of tribes, and then sold them to Europeans uh, or people, uh, you know, sh- shipping the shipping industry or something uh, from the. Uh, Northeastern uh, mariners, it, it, it's 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 not going to them, the people in Africa who are actually doing this, and demanding of them some kind of payment. It, it's always, it, it runs along these Marxist lines of class conflict that will benefit the uh, political Marxists in the United States. It, it always does that, and and that this is no exception. And this is what Bobby Scott, though, is ultimately, he's, he's, he's saying that he doesn't want Marxism. He don't need Marxism. Um, and, at the same time, though, then the solutions he's given, I mean, these are neo-Marxist solutions to this. How do you prevent Marxism from gaining a hold when you're going to present it like, well, there's a category for systemic racism, systemic sin, systemic oppression, corporate sin, and therefore, based upon that, generations later, we got to punish these people for things their their uh, ancestors did and, uh, and not have some kind of a government mechanism that comes to be, uh, that is put in place in order to make things equitable. Uh, how, I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't wanna, you can go back and watch a whole, a whole episode on reparations. And I talk about the impracticality of it. I talk about the immorality of it, um, doing it uh, at this point and to, to the people that are, people want to do it too. So, um, but this is, this is a guy, uh, and I, again, I'm not doing this to, it's so hard for me because I tend to want to, go and really critique these things, but, um, I'm trying to just give you the big picture here, the, the, just, this is a guy who, um, at T4G went to master seminary, uh, and and apparently has more influence than I even realized. And this is someone who has some very radical ideas. And, um, so he's, uh, the person who sent me all this stuff also sent me, um, I guess in their neck of the woods, uh, there's a number of He's part of this network, Shepherd L A, or I guess it's Nine Marks Shepherd L A, and they have conferences and stuff. So maybe this is a conference. Let's see. Yeah, they have a conference. So the people who are part of it, interestingly, if you do this and type in masters, you'll find okay, this guy uh, P J. Tobion, master seminary grad, um, masters university and master seminary actually. Uh, You have then Bobby Scott, another master seminary grad. Uh, You have um, this individual, uh, Nam Park, master seminary grad. Uh, Let's see. There's a a couple people who aren't. Then you have, um, I'm not going to go through all their names, but you can see another guy, master seminary grad. Uh, You can see here another, uh, actually that guy's not. Uh, another guy, Master Sem. There's a lot of Master Seminary grads um, in this particular list, which, which I thought was just interesting to me. And so, from what I'm told, uh, this is um, more Master Seminary grads. This is the conference that's coming up, uh, Nine Marks Event Shepherd LA Conference, and the people speaking are PJ Tabion, uh, Mark Dever, Bobby Scott uh Jonathan Lehman. And and that's the conference, I guess. And and so there th- this is I don't know, I'm just I'm looking at connections and I'm not trying to do like the Glenn Beck chalkboard thing where you know it's like and they're compromised cuz this guy over here who doesn't have a kid, you don't want to do that where it's unrelated, but this th- this is actually kind of related. You see that the, the and, and the reason I'm saying that is because you see a guy like like Bobby Scott who actually does have some radical ideas and I showed you last week um, has promoted ideas that would be in keeping with a false gospel, and he's and what organizations is he part of? And, and you know, very involved with well, Nine Marks, uh, the Nine Marks Shepherd L A. conference. Um, he's involved with uh, this Sola's uh, network thing. He's involved with T Four G, obviously, uh, with the Front Porch, and the Front Porch is the one that I would say like I, I would have known that that one was was off. But, um, but here's, here's another, um, video of Pastor Bobby Scott. And then again, this just reinforced in my mind, some of the things that I've already been saying, but including the, the way in which the gospels handled here. So let, let's start, man, I don't, I have um, a bunch of notes cause I listened to this whole thing. Uh, I'll just give you, cause I don't want to make this long. I'll just give you a few of the things he says, and then I'll play for you a clip. But a few of the things he says, he says that he talks about how no one believes our stories. And he talks about like Eric Gardner and George Floyd and how, no one believes their stories of racism that's against them, meaning black people. Black, black people have these stories. No one believes them. And, and, and it's like, but you don't know that Eric Gardner's situation and George Floyd's situation were motivated by, we don't know that racism motivated those things. And I should say ethnic partiality, catching myself. We don't know that there was some kind of ethnic partiality that motivated you that. To
1: see how the officer shot him in the back and finally charges were brought and the officer went to jail. But well, black Americans will tell you that a thousand times over without videos, and no one believes our
0: stories. Yeah, no one believes our stories. The, but the, the stories are this is racism. We don't know that in these situations this was racism. That's, that's the whole problem. Um, and he says the police, well, let's just go to a few of these choice clips here. Says In
1: administrating so-called justice, then you, then you, then you have a problem. And so I think for African-Americans, because it's, it's a story and a painful narrative that when we see it, we're like, ah, oh, this is COVID-19. This is racism. And I know there's many of my brothers that I respect and they wanna say, oh no, these are bad apples and isolated cases that, but when you're an African-American and you've experienced a judicial system that was built to use oppressive force, to keep slaves in check, to keep black people docile during the 100 years of Jim Crow, we have a police system that's built like that. You're still gonna have pockets of that. It, it's still gonna rear us a, a ugly hair from time to time. And we simply have to say what it is when we see it.
0: So we have to say what it is when we see it. And he uh, obviously, before, gives Eric Gardner and George Floyd as examples. And this is a police system, it's built. It's built like that. It, it, that's that's. It, this is something you hear from 13th, this is something you'd hear from 1619 Project. This is what you hear from uh, the new Jim Crow. These are the kinds of the things he's saying are what you'd pick up in in these more radical readings of American history. And and it's it's uh, today there's racism in the police departments because what's the reason? Well, because years ago there were slave patrols and it's just that's what it's built off of, um, which isn't accurate. But that's uh, that's what we get. So um, he uses. I'm not going to go to all of these. He talks about America being characterized by racism. He actually oftentimes in this whole dialogue uh talks about America did this to to black people. America did this to be, it, it not even like um hey there was certain individuals did this. This president did this. Uh or you know these bad people did this to these people. It's it's America. It's a very 1619 type of way of reading. It's always it's America. It's fundamental to who what America is. It's uh, it's just it's it's all this whole idea of taking of thinking of America as an idea and and abstracting America has led to this kind of thing where America is not this organic culture that forms and different places are different than other places. It just becomes this one kind of singular uh, entity that exists in the abstract, which was supposed to promise all these great things, but actually failed and it's, it's America doing this. America's punishing America. Says well, it, it, This will lead. If you use this language so much in this narrative, I'm telling you, this will lead to the children of people like this, uh, getting radicalized people in churches like this. They'll get radicalized over time. That's just, it, it creates that kind of grudge, that bitterness. It, it's the root of it. When you, when you, um, when you adopt this kind of a narrative. Uh, let's see. I think there was okay so um he says uh and this is maybe the 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 most interesting thing it's kind of an off comment here an off-handed comment but he says uh something about the reconciliation that the gospel brings and this is what i this is more important than anything else i think i've talked about in this the the critique of the united states the way he's handling scripture uh this is more important to me check this out I think if we
1: go back to Augustine's that we have a dual citizenship, that we're citizens of heaven, Christians are, we're part of a new family, we're one. Um, And the gospel does that, that when um, the gospel is preached and by God's grace is believed, there's repentance, there's new life, there's um, someone's born again, they're reconciled to God. And once they're reconciled to God, they also become reconciled to people who are (laughs) Uh, radically different than them in all kinds of ways. Jews and Gentiles could be uh, reconciled into one family. Slaves and uh, their masters in the Bible, and I'm not talking about chattel slavery, uh, could, would be reconciled in, in, in biblical language. So, What was that?
0: Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled. Slaves and freedmen can be reconciled, but not chattel slavery. Gospel can't do that, apparently. I don't get that. Like, why? I, I don't even know what to say to something like that. Like, of course the gospel can. The gospel did. In fact, have you read the slave narratives? And the slaves who are grateful for the, the Christianity that their master um, taught them. Yeah, there are stories that exist that are horrible and oppressive. And there's also a, a lot of good stories, and I've read them. Good in the sense that God uses evil... To produce good, where you have Christian slave masters who end up teaching slaves about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and salvation in him. And it's that it can't bring about reconciliation between those people. It can't not in that labor relationship. That's one labor relationship there. The gospel can't bring a reconciliation. Why? What why not? And and furthermore, and I talk about this in Christianity and social justice, religions and conflict the Greco-Roman slave system, the Roman slave system. Um there's a lot of things connected to that that in many ways were much worse than what happened in the United States. You didn't have gladiatorial arenas in Georgia. <laughs> we're going to watch these slaves fight to the death for our own entertainment and no, there there were certain things that were I mean, even the idea that, you know, there was abuse that master in the sense that masters would um would abuse sexually abuse slaves. Yeah, but it wasn't like an accepted thing, broadly speaking, in the culture. That was, though, in Roman culture, a very accepted thing for uh, masters to to use their slaves in in, in those kinds of ways. They're, so, there. They're, I'm not saying that it was all good, and that's what that's a problem, unfortunately. That people um, oftentimes you say anything that tends to um, paint something else as maybe worse in general than american slavery then you've committed a a horrible crime because we know that's the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world which is is just someone who doesn't know history uh horrible things have happened all over the world to all every people group has basically a story at some point in their past of something terrible happening to their ancestors and um and american slavery is something that we're very glad is gone because we value personal responsibility and, and that's what we want to encourage and um and, and, of course, uh, the, the whole idea of uh, tribal warfare in Africa being the—and and man capture, even along the line in many of those cases, being the thing that uh, supplied a labor force, uh, we know that's wrong. We know some of the laws uh, that uh, were— um, connected with slavery like try, trying to prevent slaves from read because of fear that they might read some radical abolitionist literature which would create slave revolts and violence you know we, we know that the kind of thing is wrong we so so we obviously we know these things right I don't know of anyone who doesn't know this and, and doesn't think that, that 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 kind of thing was wrong but the idea though that you can't have a Christian master reconciled with a slave in the in the gospel is is just it's offensive. It should the cross can reconcile those people. In fact, it can reconcile people today in abusive employer and employee relationships. It can uh, reconcile people in abusive marriages. Um, it can it can do a wonderful work in in all kinds of uh, relationships that exist. To limit it like that is just uh, incredible to me. To it's similar to the comment that he made at T4G where he basically looked out at the audience and there's a lack of diversity and says, we we have a long way to go where we have, we can do better. He says, we can do better uh, at uh, the reconciliation, at the work of reconciliation. God has called us to the second Corinthians five reconciliation. And it's like, wait a minute. So what you're saying, because that's about being reconciled to God. Does that mean that like the gospel hasn't had the full effect it should in this room? Because it lacks diversity. I mean, it's the same kind of thing here. It's like, well, you think the gospel, it's limited somehow, but you can't really do anything with that relationship by promoting the kind of unity that the gospel produces. I mean, that's just offensive to me. Uh, And that's, that's what you're getting though. And, and so um, the moral of the story being at the end of the day, we we have to have discernment, even when it comes to people who've gone to seminaries that we, um, that many of us at least uh, have trusted in the past or, uh, organizations that many of us have maybe trusted in the past you just got to be you, you have to be um, discerning with these things you have to be a berean and check out uh, the the people that you you have sp- even speak at your church and stuff uh, because we were in a time of, of a great deception and great confusion and when it's confusion that's so fundamental over something as basic as the gospel then uh, then you know that you know you can't you can't have that person speak you can't that You have to clarify with that person at the very least, and 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 these are serious things. Uh, these are errors that end up sometimes having eternal ramifications to them. And so, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up tomorrow with something. Now, there was a panel that Bobby Scott was on with another individual in the PCA, and that's what I want to talk about tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna I'm going to save that video because there's a video that I was like, oh wow. We're going to, we're going to talk about this Uh, and what are conservatives in the PCA doing about this. And so tomorrow we're going to continue this theme of using discernment, making sure that even people that you might like, or came from good organizations that you think are on the right side of this or doing good work, make sure that you're, uh, that you're examining um, what they're doing. And and if you're going to get behind it, you know, try to uh, be sure and then go ahead and, and get behind it, but you want to be sure first. And so some of this stuff might be a little disappointing to some of you in the PCA, but I, I think a good reality check um, is important. So uh, God bless. Hopefully this will uh, be an encouragement to you in some way to, to be more discerning and, um, and, and we'll continue tomorrow.